A number of years ago, uh, I, uh, I was serving at a church just outside Washington, D.C., and I remember, I remember a conversation with a guy who came to church for the first time uh, because it, it just stuck in my mind because of the unique aspect of that particular conversation. This particular guy came in, and he had been transferred to the area from the Midwest, transferred to D.C., and um, he, he was military. He was an enlisted guy, and, and he was studying because ultimately he wanted to become a doctor, and he was trying to get accepted into the, into the medical school that is involved in, in the, the Army that's, that's there. Um, and so we're talking, and I said, oh, that's great. You know, you're, you're here doing stuff. Let me introduce you to this guy. The guy over there, he's an army doc. He's a, he's a colonel, and um, he'd love to meet you. And the reason that I remember this conversation so clearly is because immediately that guy began to get nervous. It was like, I can go talk to him. And I said, why can't you? He's, he's a great guy. He said, he's a colonel. He's an officer. I'm an enlisted guy. I can't, I can't just go up and talk to him. And I said, no, you don't understand, we're at church. You know, the, this, is, this is not at the fort, it's not at the base. And he said, I, I can't, and it just got really full of anxiety. I didn't grow up in a military family. And, and so that whole concept of the structure and the status, the, the roles that exist in the military, it was new for me, and, and it freaked me out a little bit because it was like, no, that, that doesn't make any sense at all. End of that story, all right? Um, uh, th- today, I've got a couple of friends who are, who are coming to church. Uh, one of them for the first time, one of them for the second time. And, um, and I, I think that's, that's pretty cool. I hope, I hope that, um, that you guys will meet them at some point today. And uh, that, that you'll love them, that, that they'll sense the love of Jesus, that they'll sense God speaking to them while they're here. That's a, that's a really cool thing. Now, most of you are saying, oh, that's great. You know what, if I see Rick talking to somebody, that, oh, that'll, be, that'll be good. You know, I'll go up and talk to him. But if I say, my friends are my dance partner from Dancing with the Stars and, um, and the choreographer, then some of you will say, you know what, I... I think I might recognize them or her from the video, and I'll go up and talk to them because that's somebody that I can go seek out, right? The, the, a little bit different posture based on who the person was. But if I said to you, you know what, my, my friends that are coming today are Tom and Lupe Izzo. Most of you would say, what? And after the service, you'd be hanging around saying, oh, Izzo's, they're right over there. I wonder if we could go talk to them, right? And you'd be strategically placing yourself out in the atrium with this. Oh, I'm just checking my phone. Then um, doing the selfie thing, right? We'd be going there because sometimes, even in church, we value people based on their appearance and their position and their stature, Right? Um, I, I've been really uh, anxious about this particular message because it's a message about showing favoritism, about partiality, about prejudice. And the reason that I've been anxious about it is because most of us collectively, or most of us individually would say, you know what, I don't have a problem with prejudice. I don't show favoritism to people. That's, uh, that's not who I am, you know. I'm educated. I, that's not who I am. The problem is, 
almost all of us struggle with favoritism, with prejudice, with showing partiality to people based on their appearance. I'm convinced of it. If you've got your Bibles, take them out and turn to James chapter 2. And I... And I and uh, I, I want you to, to uh, go there. We've been, we're, we're in this series that we've been talking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And now comes the quiz. First service struggled at the beginning, but then did better. Okay? So a disciple of Jesus is someone who what? Follows Jesus. Good. Somebody who follows Jesus, who is changed by Jesus and committed to the mission of Jesus. Uh, a disciple of Jesus is someone who follows Jesus, is changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. What, what, we spent a couple of weeks fleshing that out, what it looks like to abide in Christ, to, to be in relationship with Jesus. And now we're working in the book of James to, to just flesh out what that looks like in real life. The last three weeks we've talked about, okay, a, a disciple, how does a disciple of Jesus handle trials? How does a disciple of Jesus handle temptation? How does a disciple of Jesus handle anger? Today we're dealing with the, this whole idea of favoritism and, and partiality and prejudice. James chapter 2. James says this. My brothers, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. Don't hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. Understand this, it's so critical. There is no room for partiality, for favoritism, for prejudice in the life of a disciple of Jesus. There's just no space for that at all. Um, the, the word that's there, the, the partiality, I, I'm going to use all three of those words interchangeably because I'm convinced that for some of us, we may not... Um, necessarily have a big problem with prejudice, but we have a problem with showing favoritism to people, that we're partial to people. Some of us have a problem with, with, um, with prejudice. And, and so in any of the fill-in-the-blanks, feel free to just put whatever one of those words applies to you. Because the word that's there that, that James uses is judging somebody by outward appearance. It, it means a respecter of person. Don't be a respecter of persons. James says this, he, he says, don't hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. Our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. Those things don't coexist. I want you, I want you to go back to, that, to uh, what I was just talking about a second ago and, and, and recognize that when we see the glory of who Jesus is, all of a sudden there's no space at all for favoritism. So if on this Sunday morning... The Izzos were sitting right over here, all right? Sitting beside Amy. Wouldn't that be cool? And the Harbaugh's were sitting right over here. <laughs> uh, no, we're not going to go to the Myers. But so, so we've got Izzos, Harbaugh's. We've got Warren Buffett and his wife in the center section. And we've got President Trump back in the back corner. And they're all here on Sunday morning. Do you understand that when we worship and we have a sense of the glory of God, the glory of who Jesus is, that all of a sudden, Izzo doesn't matter, Harbaugh doesn't matter, 
Buffett doesn't matter. Trump doesn't matter. Jesus, I said this first service accidentally, Jesus trumps them all, right? The glory of Jesus puts everything in perspective and so that there's no place for favoritism. There's no place for it when we, when we see the glory of Jesus. James goes on and says this, My brothers, don't hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. If a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there. Sit down by my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? You know, it's crazy because even as believers, we're drawn to rich and influential people, aren't we? Somehow we think, you know what? If I can go be friends with that person, that will make me more important. They will validate who I am as a person. Uh, You know what? If they approve of me, wow, won't that be incredible? Or we think, you know what? That person who's rich, maybe they can help me with something. Maybe they have something to offer me. We think that, right? Somehow in our mind, perspective. Do you understand that all of the money of Warren Buffett pales in comparison to the resources of God? Warren Buffett can't meet any need that God can't meet. That, that somebody, who's, uh, somebody who approves of me to want their approval compared to God's approval makes no sense at all. Perspective. Perspective. Um, James says, understand this, the rich are not role models for believers in Jesus, disciples of Jesus. The rich are not role models. They're not who we need to pattern our lives after. James, James is an interesting writer. It's a little bit like he has ADHD because there, there are topics that he'll, he'll start and go down a path and then he'll kind of bounce around and get back to that. And it's like, wait, didn't you say that before? Three times in, in the book of James does he, does he hit on this whole idea that the rich are not role models. If you go back to chapter 1, in verse 9, listen to these words that James writes. The brother of humble circumstance is to glory in his high position. The rich man is to glory in his humiliation because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed so too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. James says something really, really weird. He says, let the brother of humble circumstances glory in his high position. In our culture, we think if you're poor, you're a mess, right? Your life's a mess. You're you're not worth much. And James says, if you're poor, glory in your high position. What's the high position of being poor? Think for a second. You know what, if you, if, if you don't have very many resources, what do you have to do? You have to depend on God. You have to depend on God to meet every need. 
You recognize that your value as a person is not wrapped up in the stuff that you have. You don't have the distractions that somebody who, who, who is rich has. It's, you, you don't have any. Let the brother of humble circumstances glory in his high position. Man, if that's where you are, take comfort in that verse. It, but it says, let the rich man glory in his humiliation. If you're rich, what's your humiliation? James says it's, it, it's real plain. All that stuff's going to go away. You're not going to take any of that with you out of this world. And all of that stuff just evaporates really, really quickly. Let the brother in humble circumstances glory in his, in, uh, in his high position. The rich man glory in his humiliation. Um, James chapter 5 says, Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Pause just for a second. You do understand that for all of us, we're rich. If you've got a vehicle, if you've got a home that has heat and air, if you've got appliances, you're rich. Go home, go home today and Google what the, what the um, average income worldwide is and see how that compares with whatever your compensation is. We're all rich. Chapter 5. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have rusted. Their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It's in the last days that you've stored up your treasure. James says, you know what? All those vacation days that you've been saving, when your company gets bought out, they're gone in an instant. They're just gone. And all that, all that effort that you've spent gearing up for retirement, it doesn't mean anything if you die while you're still working. It, it, it just evaporates really, really quickly. That, you know, that, that big truck that you have that you pour the gas in and it just feels like it's eating the gas and you spend all that money, it's like you don't realize that there's a leak in the, in the fuel line. And then as soon as you pour away, all that gas is going out on the road. It evaporates. Your riches don't stick around. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields, which has been withheld by you, cries out against you. James says, you know what? If you have people that work for you and you're not treating them, you're not treating them fairly, you're not treating them well, God knows that. The outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He doesn't resist you. You know, those words that James wrote, I, as I think forward to Thanksgiving, man, they're convicting. They eat me alive. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Do you realize all the stuff that we have? It's going away. It can be gone in an instant. James says, don't have rich people as your role models. That's not what it's about. If you go back to chapter 2, he, he continues and he says, uh, this is verse, starting in verse 8. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's great. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. 
But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Religious leaders came to Jesus and they said, what's the most important law? Of the 612 laws that are in the Old Testament, what's the most important law? You know what Jesus said? Love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. That's what it's all about. That's the thing that everything capsulizes to. And Jesus gave him a bonus. He said, you know what? Not only that, the second most important is love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. A slogan for, for the church here, a tagline for North Point for a whole bunch of years was love God, love people, change the world, right? That, that describes what we're supposed to do and be as a church, to love God, to love people, and to, and to see how that impacts the world. James says, if you love your neighbor as yourself, the golden rule, that's great, that's so great. But if you show partiality, that's sin. Partiality, prejudice, favoritism is sin for a disciple of Jesus. You understand that? It's sin. It's not just a bad thing. It's sin. As I was prepping this message, this talk, I, I thought, why is it that we show favoritism? Why, why is it that we do that? Uh, I think for some of us, it's comfort. It's the principle of homogeneity. We, we, we want to be in a group of people who are like us. You know what? That, uh, that we, uh, we're more comfortable that way. If I know everybody has roughly the same kind of background, that's cool, and I'm more comfortable. That principle of comfort and homogeneity is why I would say f- most of you would choose to shop at Meyer and DeWitt rather than Walmart at Lake Lansing. Because the Walmart at Lake Lansing, the demographics of the people who shop there are radically different than this group of people. But the demographics of the people who shop at, at Meyer are pretty similar to this group. We're much more comfortable with people who are like us. Uh, you know, when we hire staff, when we, hire, when we hire staff, when I, when I look at prospective people, I'm thinking all the time, how can I get people who are not like me? Because it's too easy to say, oh, that person's just like me. I, yeah, I want them on staff. That'd be great. But if we only hired people who were like me, who were my age, who had the same values that I did, that kind of stuff, we would have a church full of people like me, right? And the kingdom's lots bigger than that. We need people who are University of Michigan fans in the kingdom. You know, we, we need that. We need that. We've got to get out of our comfort zone. We've got to. Um, one of the other reasons why we show favoritism is fear. We're just afraid of people who aren't like us. People who have a different background. What we don't know scares us. We don't know who those people are. We don't know why they think the way that they do. Sometimes, sometimes we show favoritism, prejudice, just simply because of our own ignorance. Um, we, we just don't know any better. We, we've never been exposed to it. Um, in our life group this past week, uh, a couple got married a few weeks ago, and they were talking about their honeymoon, and they went out to San Francisco. And in San Francisco, they said, you know what? We were in places that we rarely heard English. We heard all these other languages. We've never been in a place where we were a minority before. Sometimes we're prejudiced simply because we've not been exposed to a bigger world and to, and to, to more than what we know. Sometimes we show favoritism because of our own arrogance. We think that we're better than others. 
we think if those people, if those people worked as hard as I do, they wouldn't be in the shape that they're in. If those people would just go to school and get an education, then they wouldn't have that job. Their, their world would be so much better. We, we say, you know what? Those people are just stupid. If they just thought the way that I thought, then, the, then they'd be so much better off. We somehow feel more validated if we surround ourselves with people who agree with us regardless of whether we're right or not. And sometimes we show favoritism just simply because of stereotypes. We have a bad experience with a person from a particular race or background or whatever it is, and we extrapolate that and say everyone is like that. So we meet somebody from a certain ethnic background who's poor and lazy, and we assume everyone from that background is poor and lazy. We meet somebody from the UP who's uneducated, and we assume that everyone from the UP is uneducated. We meet one politician or lawyer or used car salesman who is corrupt or sleazy or untrustworthy, and we assume that that's true for every politician or lawyer or used car salesman. We meet one Ohio State fan who is handsome and articulate. (laughs) No. Do you understand how that breaks down? It doesn't make any sense at all, right? That stereotype thing, it's false. It's just false. But it's so easy for us to do. Why is, why is favoritism, why is prejudice so wrong? Because it denies the unique fingerprint of God on each person that he has made. When we judge people based on their skin color, based on their attitude or their education or their socioeconomic status or their ethnicity, we sin. Why? Because that God made that person unique. He put his fingerprint on them. He loves them. And we're called to love them as well. Why is prejudice favoritism so wrong? It discredits the church. Do you understand that as a follower of Jesus, when you live out prejudice and people at work or in your neighborhood watch you, they say, why would I want to follow Jesus if that's the way that they act? Why why would I want to be a part of a church that has that kind of attitude? It dis... when, When... When we show favoritism, it discredits the body of Christ. And it destroys the universal nature of the cross. Do you understand that Jesus died for everyone? He didn't just die for people who live in mid-Michigan. Jesus died for people in South America. Jesus died for people in China. Jesus died for people who are rich, people who are poor. Jesus died for everyone. And when we... When we show favoritism to people, we violate that concept. Um, a few weeks ago, I mentioned that in February, in February, we're going to participate in what's called a night to shine. It's, it is a, um, it's a prom for people with developmental disabilities who are teens and adults. 
coolest thing in the world. It's sponsored by Tim Tebow's uh, foundation. Night to Shine will happen all over the country, actually around the world. Um, Why are we doing that? Why are we doing that? Because it gives us the opportunity to recognize the thumbprint of, of God on people who struggle to be accepted by society. You know, what's really cool is we're partnering with an African-American church to do A Night to Shine. We're, we're going to join with them. And it's going to give us an incredible opportunity to be a testimony to the power of the gospel in the church. To partner with this African-American church, because I don't know if you've noticed or not, but we're pretty white um, here. Uh, um, it gives us a chance to join hands and to love on people that the world ignores. Because they've been given the fingerprint of God. What an incredible opportunity. Why did James write this letter to the Jewish Christians? It was because favoritism was a problem for them. It needed to be addressed. The Jewish Christians knew the truth. I I don't know if you know this this or not, but in the Mosaic Law, uh, in Leviticus 19, it's not in your notes, so if you want to write this down, feel free to do it. In Leviticus 19, it says this, Don't pervert justice. Don't show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great. Judge your neighbor fairly. In the Old Testament, the Jews knew that, but they didn't live it. The favoritism gene ran deep in their DNA. Because they were God's chosen people as the Jews. There was God's chosen people and there was everybody else. There were the Jews and the Gentiles. And the Jews felt pretty proud about their heritage. God chose me. You guys, who cares about you? The Jewish Christians didn't care about the Samaritans. Didn't care about the Gentiles. And James said, you've got this issue that's got to be addressed. Because that's not who Jesus is. Jesus came to destroy racial and gender prejudice. Listen, listen to these scriptures, uh, Corinthians. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. We were all made to drink one spirit. Galatians, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Colossians, you've put on a new self who's being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. Christ is all and in all. And John, when he wrote about eternity, surrounding the throne, Revelation 5, they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you, Jesus, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Jesus, as he's ready to go into heaven, says, preach my gospel. Go into all the world to preach. Understand that Satan came to steal and kill and destroy. Satan came to mess up everything that God built right. And he does that. His methodology is to divide us. If he can divide us, he can conquer us. He can destroy us. If Satan can put that, that spirit of partiality, of judgmentalism, of, of prejudice, favoritism in our hearts, he can destroy us. So where are we right now? Today, October 15th, 2017. You know what? In our country and in the church, in Christians, 
There are people who talk about the president. And there are people who say, oh, you support the president? I got nothing to do with you. And people who say, oh, you don't support the president? I got nothing to do with you. And literally, they show partiality based on a person's perspective of the president. What's, what's gone on in the last three weeks? There's division that occurs right now. People that say, oh, you support those guys who kneel during the national anthem? I, I, can't, I just can't tolerate you. And people who say, you don't support people who, kneel during, who exercise that right to kneel during the national anthem? I got nothing to do with you. Do you understand that Satan's design is to, is to divide us? That's what he wants to destroy us that way. That's not God's plan. It's not God's plan. We've got to stop that. It's been 57 years ago, 57 years since Martin Luther King Jr. said, it's appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on, on Sunday morning. 57 years ago. We've made some progress in the last 57 years, but not nearly enough. I, I hope out of this message today that you go home and you think, man, I've got to make some changes. I've got to figure out something to do because I've got to deal with this, with this favoritism, this partiality, the, the, this prejudice that's, that's in my heart. Um, here is a very specific challenge that, that I want to give. For, for the last year, I've been thinking about it. I, I wish there was a way that we could collectively do it. I want, to, I want to challenge you to sometime in the next four weeks, in the next month, to find someone who is from a different ethnicity than you are, a different racial background than you are, and invite them to your house for dinner. Now, I know for a lot of you, just inviting anybody to dinner, that's like, to eat at my house? You're kidding. You're crazy. I'm so convinced in my heart that one of the best things that we can do to build bridges is to invite people into our home and feed them. And so find somebody from work, find somebody from somewhere, from, from the Y, from, you know, from some place, your kid's soccer team, find someone who has a different ethnicity than you and invite them to your house and see what God does. Because I'm convinced that when that kind of thing happens, when that kind of conversation happens, when we make ourselves vulnerable, that God begins to put the cracks in the prejudice and the partiality and the favoritism that exists in our lives. If you're rich, invite somebody who has lots less than you to your house for dinner. And if you don't have very much, invite somebody who's rich to come to your house for dinner and see what God does. Chapter 2, verse 10. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. He who said don't commit adultery also said don't commit murder. If you don't commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. Judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The way that we judge is serious for a disciple of Jesus. It's a big deal. Prejudice separates us from God. 
James says, we'll be judged by the way that we show mercy, by the way that we treat people who are not like us. That's why impacting people with the grace of Jesus is so, is so important. It's why, you know, when we talk about impacting 50,000 people in five years with the grace of Jesus, that's why that's, that is so much on my heart. Because when we impact people with the grace of Jesus, that, that's, that's broad. That covers everybody. We can't do that and have it just be people like us, just people we like. We will be judged by the way that we show mercy, by the way that we treat people who are not like us. Here's here's the whole message summed up in one phrase. At the heart of partiality, of prejudice, of favoritism, is my heart. Most of us think intellectually, you know what? Yeah, no, I can't be prejudiced. I, I can think my way past my prejudices. If I just get more educated, I won't show favoritism in the way that I already do. It's not about education. It's all about our hearts. No change will occur until our hearts change. A disciple is someone who is changed by Jesus. You know, you may be here today and think, wow, I've never thought through any of this stuff before. I'm not sure even who Jesus is. I'm not sure how that makes sense. Let me just share these verses from Romans chapter 10. Scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Is that great or what? There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Know that you can know Jesus today. You can have him begin to jump into your heart and begin to change you from the inside out. You can experience freedom from prejudice today, no matter what has happened in your background. You can begin to see the world differently because Jesus is changing us from the inside. Billy Graham is the person who coined the phrase, the, foot is le- the ground is level at the foot of the cross. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. What do you mean by that? It means, you know what, at the base of the cross, it doesn't matter what our background is. It doesn't matter how much money we have. It doesn't matter any of that stuff. We're all in desperate need of a Savior. Uh, I'd like to finish the service today with time of communion. I, th- I think that it makes great, great sense for us collectively, together, to share in remembering who Jesus is and what he did for us. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Paul said, here's the deal. When you come together to share in the Lord's Supper and communion, you need to do some introspection. You need to think through what's going on in your life. And, and, and this morning, this is what I'd like to do. In just a couple of minutes, the ushers are going to come down and they're going to pass the trays. If you're a follower of Jesus, um, as they pass the trays, take a piece of bread and take the cup and just hold on to it today. Because I'd, I'd like for us to take them all together. But over the next several minutes, and there will be several minutes while the, while the trays are distributed, Examine yourself. Examine yourself in light of 
this message about partiality, but examine yourself in, in light of sin issues of what in whatever areas. And come clean. If you need to repent, talk to God about that. Ask him to cleanse you so that when you take the cup and when you take the, the bread, you can celebrate that Jesus has cleansed us and made us pure and holy. If you're not a follower of Jesus, it is absolutely okay to just pass the tray to the next person. Nobody's going to think anything at all about that. Just use the next few minutes to just kind of think, to just think quietly about how all this stuff fits together and what it might mean. Let's share now in this time of communion. Hold, hold the cup, hold the bread, and I'll be back up in just a moment.